you don't have to be one way at work and a different way at home and a third way outside. You can be you the entire time and all the time. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Aching Heart Life. I'm Andy Gray and thanks for joining us here today and happy new year to everyone. On Aching Heart Life, we explore themes of authenticity, particularly those where people hit some sort of critical junction in their lives and then reinvent and live their lives in a way that's more congruent for them. Today's guest is Dino Dogan, who grew up in Bosnia during the war and today is an entrepreneur, blogger, and podcaster. I'm talking today to Dino Dogan, who is the founder of Triber, a social network, and the host of another podcast called The Road to Ted. Dino, welcome to A Congruent Life. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for having me. It's really great to have you. For those few of our audience that maybe are not familiar with you, can you just briefly introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, I hate doing that. <laughs> I know. It's a t- <laughs> like the toughest question of all. But I know. I'm for, I, like, I, and I've had to do that in like three emails today. Uh, but uh, let's see, uh, blogger, uh, founder of Triber, uh, ne'er-do-well, uh, public speaker, you know, um, failed musician, uh, really lousy martial artist. Uh, that, that's me, essentially, in a nutshell. Okay. So there's a lot of cool stuff we could talk about there. <laughs> let's maybe start at the beginning. Let's, uh, let's talk about some of your early life. Uh, you mentioned before that you were uh, born and raised in Bosnia. Yeah, born and raised in Bosnia. Uh, I moved uh, into, to the United States back in like 95 uh, during the, uh, the war in Bosnia. And I came here as a refugee, essentially. And I'm still a refugee, technically. I have a green card. But, uh, you know, I'm technically still a refugee. So what was that like being in Bosnia during the war? Uh, during the war, it's, I mean, it sucked. Um, you know, you, you had, like, daily bombings and, you know, shortages of water and all that stuff. Um, what's amazing about all of, like, back then it felt totally normal. But looking back at it, it's totally insane. Um, there would be bombings, and the minute the bombings would stop, uh, we would go out and start playing basketball. <laughs> it's insane. Or like getting water, you have to go across the bridge and you have to like run and zigzag across the bridge so that you don't get hit by a sniper. And that kind of stuff was totally normal. <laughs> That must have been a pretty surreal experience. How old were you at that time? Uh, 15, wow. 16. Yeah. Huh. So that was kind of your perspective of the world as you started. You're, you're sort of in this young adulthood and going up, growing up in the middle of a war zone. Yeah. You know, when I left Bosnia, um, not mind you, the war w- was going uh, in 
different with different intensity for about total of about seven or eight years, uh, starting in the early nineties and then, you know, culminating sometime around 95, six, seven, I don't even know. So you came to the United States as a refugee. Uh, what kind of life did you envision in the United States at that point as a teenager coming to a completely different country? How did you envision your life unfolding at that point? Uh, you know, when I left Bosnia, uh, I left with a backpack expecting to come back in 10 days. So there was no envisioning of any sort. Wow. <laughs> so you expected it to really just be a temporary deal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I expected to be back in about 10, 15 days a month tops. Wow. Uh, it's been like almost 20 years now. Uh, yeah, almost 20 years. So what changed then that you didn't return? Well, the war continued. Um, I was uh, I was refugee in Croatia first uh, uh, for a while, and then you know I couldn't go back to Bosnia. I couldn't stay in Croatia. I had to go somewhere. Uh, <clears throat> my family tried to go to uh, Sweden at one point, and it was really insane because when you um, back then uh, it, it was a matter of boarding a train to Sweden. Right. And you have to board the train on faith and you have to get on the train. And when you get to the border, hopefully they'll let you in. And it was a lottery. Like one day they would let people in. The next day they wouldn't. Wow. So when I went, uh, they didn't let us through. So I came back to uh, uh, Croatia. I was there for a while. And then it took about six months or so to get all the paperwork ready to actually come to the United States. Uh, and I've been here ever since. So when you arrived in the United States, what did you, what did you jump into career-wise? You, you mentioned before that you've had several different careers or several different kind of phases of your work life. Where did you start? Well, uh, first I started as a ne'er-do-well. Um, I had a job at Dunkin' Donuts for a week so I can uh, get enough money to buy tickets uh, to Aerosmith. Nice. And then I, I did sort of uh, uh, just enough to uh, support myself while I was um, trying to kind of make it as a musician. Um, that lasted a few years until I realized, uh, okay, I can't do, you know, this is not going to work out. <laughs> I had to get a real job. And uh, I was um, a network engineer for 10 plus years. Um, uh, that was my career prior to doing all this stuff. And did you enjoy that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I loved it. Um, uh, you know, I was a geek's geek. I, um, seven of those years I spent teaching other computer geeks how to become bigger computer geeks. <laughs> so like technology is in my blood, you know? Um, and then, you know, I eventually I discovered people. So I started, you know, working with the social media and marketing and now blogging and, you know, that whole bit. So how did that transition happen for you? Uh, if, if you're in this this network engineering career, uh, being the geek's geek, as you said, um, what motivated a change? You know, that's funny. So, like, I define myself as a blogger these days. But back in, like, early 2000s, I was cursing blogs. Because at one point, blogs became really, really popular. And Google was slow to adjust. And everything that Google was indexing was essentially blogs. And every time you search for something, you, you know, 
you land on a blog. And I'm like, no, I don't want a blog. I want, uh, you know, a product page or something like that, right? Uh, so back then I was like cursing blogs and here I am now, you know, mm. being part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, you know, I, I did network engineer for a lot of years and I kind of reached the pinnacle of that profession. I, there was no, um, you know, there was no next level for me. Uh, if, uh, for those for people who are listening who are actually familiar with, uh, network engineering, um, it's, uh, it's a very certification driven field and it's, I had them all, I had like 30 letters after my name in terms of certifications. So, um, so there was really nowhere to go other than management and I never wanted to be management. So uh, I got really bored with that stuff. Um, I, uh, I stopped doing all of that and, uh, you know, basically overnight I decided to start doing more of a marketing type of deal online. It's a pretty big jump to go from being in a technical field like network engineering and stepping out into entrepreneurship. Yeah. And the first time I stepped into entrepreneurship, I failed miserably. I invested a bunch of money into a business. It completely failed. Uh, uh, and, uh, and yeah, so, so that was painful. Uh, but there was other parts of the business that I really enjoyed. And it's the part about, you know, creating content and building communities and doing the marketing bit and providing value uh, to, you know, the customer and the people and stuff like that. Uh, that was really cool. So, yeah, it was a painful initial transition. Yeah. Can you tell us a little more about that, about the, the painful part and um, maybe what you learned from that experience? Yeah, well, the painful part is, you know, I invested a bunch of money. Uh, let's be honest, 50K to the tune of 50K of my own money, right? Um, and uh, the business lasted for a couple of few years. It was uh, DVD kiosk machines, like Redbox. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Um, so uh, I had that stuff. It, uh, it, it was going good enough to sort of do it for a couple of years. Uh, but eventually it just failed, right? <clears throat> so what I've learned from there is that I suck at certain things. I, you know, I suck at certain things. It's, um, uh, you know, the, um, the accounting piece, right? The heavy businessy stuff. I suck at that stuff. So uh, one of the biggest lessons is, you know, if, if you can find a partner that complements your shortcomings, that's a really good deal. And with Schreiber, I have. Dan Christo and I started Schreiber together, and we're pretty much a perfect Venn diagram. You know, uh, I have a lot of skills that Dan doesn't. Dan has a lot of skills that I don't. And there's some middle ground in between as well. Uh, so we complement each other perfectly. And I think that's been, uh, at least in part, uh, kind of a secret to Triber's success. Can you um, tell us a little bit about that, the story of the founding of Triber and how that came to be? What maybe what you envisioned, uh, you know, your grand vision for the business was, and how that unfolded as you launched the business. So, th at uh, in the very beginning, there was no grand vision. I was trying to do um, what I was already doing. I just wanted it to be easier. Right. And what I was already doing, I was 
essentially in a loose tribe with about 15 other bloggers. And I would daily visit their blogs. I would share their stuff. I would comment on their stuff. And they would do the same for me. So every time I publish a blog post, I'd be essentially guaranteed 15, 20 shares and 15, 20 comments. And perhaps even a, a conversation that spirals out to 50 or 60 or 100 comments, right? So uh, 15 of us ha have essentially provided this social proof to one another. Um, and help each other with this first ripple effect. You publish a blog post, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, didn't make a sound, right? So you publish a blog post, if no one's there to see it, then it, it's just soul crushing, right? So um, all of that worked really well, except there was a lot, it's, it was a high cost in terms of time and effort. So I was wondering, is there an easier way for me to bring all of my favorite blogs into a single stream, share them from that stream, comment on them, and stuff like that? And I spend days looking for a, 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 an app or something, a platform that does that, and there wasn't any, right? Uh, all the expert marketing gurus say that, you know, in order to... Um, you know, attract attention. It's like, don't be overtly self-promotional, like promote other people, stuff like that, right? But then tools that are being made, Hootsuite, Super, TweetDeck, so on and so forth, right? All of them enable you to promote you to your audience, right? So there was this disconnect. It's like, here's the best recommendation that makes sense. Don't be self-promotional. And here's all these tools that are building all these ways of being more self-promotional. So I'm like, there's got to be a tool that enables me to uh, share my tribe's posts and for them to do the same. And there wasn't. So we built Triber. So how does the establishment of Triber, perhaps this journey that you've been on uh, through a traditional corporate career and then ultimately becoming an entrepreneur and starting your own business, how does that maybe align with you personally, you know, from a personal perspective in terms of what you want to do and, and the way that you want to live your life, your, your authenticity or congruence, if you will? Yeah. Um, so there's um, there's. I wrote a post recently, and I'm actually going to pull it up right now because it's going to help me tell you exactly what it is. Um, I had to sort of look deep and figure out what my three, uh, what my beliefs are, my core beliefs, right? Uh, and basically, everything that I do with Triber, uh, everything I do uh, uh, in in general, has these core beliefs as part of it. And here's the first one. The phrase starving artist needs to disappear from the English lexicon. That one drives me so much. As a failed musician, some, you know, I consider myself a good musician, good singer-songwriter. I've had some decent song, songs, uh, but no success whatsoever. And there's so many people out there that are like that, right? Uh, I mean, like, you know, Britney Spears and One Direction. And, you know, all these people who are a package rather than artists, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, 
find a lot of success, but real musicians have a, a, a hard time finding that kind of success. So um, the phrase starving artist needs to disappear from the English lexicon. And if you think about it in terms of, let's say, writing, right? Um, 50 years ago, if you wanted to um, make a living as a writer, a big publishing house had to publish you, had to carry your book, right? But now that's not the case. Now you can pull up a blog post and just write a really long, long blog post. And, you know, that's really not that different from a book, right? Uh, the medium slightly different, but the uh, writing is writing no matter what. Um, 20 years ago, if you wanted to charge someone for your writing, your book had to be at Barnes & Noble. Um, someone uh, uh, at the register had to run your credit card so, uh, so you know, someone can purchase your book. But that's no longer the case. Um, now you can insert a little PayPal code and anyone can buy your writing, whether it's an ebook or whatever, right? Um, but there's the last mile for the creative class. There's the last mile that still hasn't been completed, and that's the distribution. You know, um, big publishing houses, big media outlets online, they have the distribution, but the individual authors, like you and I, we don't have the distribution power of, let's say, New York Times. And Triber is the answer to that. Triber is a way for small and medium-sized uh, artists, writers, whatever you want to call us, Andy, um, to, to gain the distribution power of these big publishing powerful houses. So that's one of my core beliefs that just drives everything I do. I'm not going to rest until every single one of us has the distribution power of New York Times. So what are the other beliefs that um... – or maybe are informing your life now? Uh, here's one that I love. Uh, institutions exist to advance the individual. If an institution is failing at this basic task, it need, needs to be dismantled and replaced. Institutions exist to advance the individual. And so many institutions start that way, and then at some point, the institution starts to um, uh, advance itself. So, you know, the school system is a great example. Right? Uh, our school system is terrible. It's horrendous. It needs to be completely dismantled and replaced. But there's too many interests, there's too many individuals and people and entities that have uh, 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 the interest in keeping the school system the way it is when in reality it's not serving the students anymore. And I don't know if you, um, uh, you know, know about the uh, school system and some of the pitfalls uh, of the school system, Andy, do you? Uh, sure. I mean, my kids are homeschooled, so. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's partially a, a reaction to that and partially perhaps a, a bit of a detachment from it, but sure. It's, it's fundamentally flawed, you know. Our school system, uh, 100 years ago, uh, John D. Rockefeller went to Germany to see how Germans were doing school. And he brought that Prussian school system that's uh, over 2,000 years old into the United States. Um, and that's what we have today. It's this 
thousands of years old Prussian school system that was never designed to um, to train someone how to think or to to you know to even educate someone. the The point of the Prussian school system was to churn out obedient citizens and obedient soldiers. That was the point, right? And our schools are really good still at doing that fundamental task. Our schools still churn out obedient citizens and obedient soldiers. And, you know, I mean, if that's the point of the school, then let's be honest about that, right? But in my mind, that's not the point of the school. The point of a school system is to teach students how to think. Okay, so taking that, the the point of this show is about authenticity and congruence and, and live, living life in a way that is authentic mm-hmm. uh, to the individual. So what does living authentically or congruently mean to you? So, you know, um, when, uh, when I worked for the... Um, um, well, I'm not going to name any names. Well, during my corporate stint for about 10 or so years, um, you know, I had this musician persona because, you know, I was playing um, music and I was in a band. And I would go out and do little mini tours, a few dates on weekends and stuff like that. And then Monday I would go back to work. Um, so I, I, most of my 20s I spent wearing this musician mask on weekends and this, you know, corporate drone mask on weekdays. And then, you know, when I'm at home, I would wear my, you know, home family mask. And when I would hang out with friends, uh, depending on which social group I I was in, I would wear, you know, this mask and that mask, you know, you kind of uh, stay within the confines of the situation, what the uh, uh, environment dictates. Um, and that just created a lot of, uh, uh, static, uh, mental static for me. Like you had to be one way one time and another way another time. And, um, I had, uh, you know, I decided that, uh, that's really not the best way to be, um, combine all, all of that stuff into one, right? You don't have to be one way at work and a different way at home and a third way outside. You can be you the entire time and all the time. And once I kind of realized that, that, that made a huge difference for me. So what advice would you give to people that are maybe looking to live a more congruent life? You know, it's, this is, that's hard. Uh, but I would, um, I'm not going to, I don't feel qualified to give that advice, but I will relay an advice from a much smarter individual than myself. I was in Arizona, uh, Arizona State University uh, in Tucson, Arizona, and I was listening to a talk uh, and uh, his message was, be a misfit. Be a misfit in the best sense of that word, right? Be a mis- misfit. Be different. Uh, don't try to uh, conform to whatever the environment expects. Be a misfit. That's very consistent with the wisdom of both AJ Leon and Srinivas Rao, both of whom have been on the show. Mm-hmm. And I know them both. 
being a misfit is really a uh, something that I think is is pretty important, actually. Not uh, necessarily being a misfit for misfit's sake, but it's mm-hmm. really a, a message of individuality and being true to who you are. Yes, absolutely. So, Dino, what would you consider to be some of the failures in your life, and and what have they taught you? You, you mentioned the the failed business venture a while back. Uh, do you have some maybe some other sort of life lessons that you can extract from some of your life journey? Oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> just, just a small question. <laughs> just a, just a tiny little question. Here's um uh, here here's a pretty big one that uh, I haven't really seen out there much. So I, I'm hoping this is going to be new for a lot of people. Um, here's what my first failed business taught me. When I started that business, I was convinced it was going to succeed on the sheer power of my desire to make the business successful. I was convinced that it's going to succeed on the sheer power of my desire, right? Well, it failed, right? Uh, So what I've learned from that is I've learned to recognize when that feeling happens to me again. You know, I've learned to recognize that feeling where I'm not being logical. I'm not being realistic about it. I'm just being hopeful. And I can recognize that feeling in myself and I can sort of, you know, deduct points on a venture uh, based on that. You see what I mean? So essentially you're saying that desire is necessary but not sufficient. Absolutely. That is very succinctly and nicely put. Thank you. So what's going on in your world now, Dino? What are you excited about and and how is that contributing to the life that you want to live? I um so a few about a couple of months ago, I guess. Um Mike Brooks and I started a podcast Road to Ted and I'm really excited about that. Uh we've rolled out five or six episodes so far. We have about 10 in the can. So we're running slightly ahead of the schedule, which is good. And, uh, uh, you know, Road to Ted is about interviewing TED speakers who are preparing to give the most important talk of their life. And that's a kind of a trajectory that I would like to be on. I, you know, public speaking is something that I do. I love doing it. I want to do more of it. And Road to Ted uh, podcast is a really great facilitator for that to happen. It's already proven to be very effective in, you know, getting more public speaking gigs and stuff like that. So I'm really excited about that. It's a great podcast. I've uh, listened to it myself. It's quite inspiring. I love the infectious energy that you bring to the process, too. Thank you. Thank you. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you, Dino? DinoDogan.com. DinoDogan.com. And of course, we will certainly link to that in the show notes. Boom. Is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity? Uh, so, so here's my final thought. Um, that question, do you have any final thoughts? It is a question that's going to come up very often in your life. It certainly comes up often in my life. And you need to have one in the chamber. So, so that's my advice to the listeners as well as myself. To come up with a final thought. To come up with a final <laughs> thought, yes. <laughs> I went exception on you on that one. Okay, so if we don't think about it as a final thought, but if we bring it back specifically to authenticity, how would you sum up authenticity for our listeners? 
it's, I, I would sum it up as this. It's really hard. And it's hard because we're so good at tricking ourselves. We're so good at lying to ourselves. We're so good at um, not being ourselves. Um, so the whole question of authenticity is, it's an inward question. It, who are you on the inside? Uh, and you can't lie to yourself. And it's so easy to do that. Uh, it's so easy to lie to ourselves. Um, so I, it has to start from the inside out. Um, you have to figure it out and look inside what it means to be authentic uh, to you uh, and start from there. Uh, but it, all I will say is that being authentically you is really hard, but it's worth it. It is indeed worth it. It's hard and it's worth it. Yeah. All right, Dino Dogan, thanks very much for spending this time with us and sharing some of your stories and uh, congratulations on the podcast. Thank you, Andy. It was a pleasure. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Dino Dogan. The show notes for this episode are at acongruentlife.net slash 37 or acongruentlife.net slash Dogan, which is spelled D-O-G-A-N. And if you're involved in any sort of content creation, do check out Triber and the Road to Ted podcast. Thanks again to those of you who have been leaving reviews for the A Congruent Life show. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, I'd really appreciate it if you take a quick moment to leave a review, which you can do by going to acongruentlife.net slash iTunes for reviewing and subscribing on iTunes, or acongruentlife.net slash Stitcher to review and add the show to a Stitcher playlist. Thanks so much for your support. Big thanks also to audible.com for supporting A Congruent Life. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook download, which you can access at aclbook.com. Once again, thanks for listening to Aiken Grunt Life. I really do appreciate your support. We have a bunch more great interviews coming, and I'm excited to share them with you over the coming weeks. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Aiken Grunt Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.